Welcome back to another episode of Reels Like the First Time. I'm your host, Allison Salamone, and joining me today to talk about the 1975 film Dog Day Afternoon is someone who has been known to be quite the tyrant from the movie A Trivia Schmodown, and he's coming live to us today from good old rainy LA. It's the one and only Ty Lieberman. Hi, Ty. Hello there, Allison. Salamone. Rhymes yes. with alimony. That's, it how, sure that's how I remember it. That's exact. That is how I tell everyone to remember it. Uh, fun fact: I love telling this story. Uh, when my husband and I got married, because I it's my salimony is my married name. Uh, yeah. I wanted our wedding hashtag to be collecting my salimony because I thought it was hilarious. My mother, on the other hand, was not quite a fan, so right. we ended up not going with that one. When they're paying for the wedding, I can I can give up a few things. So you know, what can I say? <laughs> Well, yeah. welcome, well, Ty. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And congratulations uh, with the show so far. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been really, really fun. I'm really excited. This is one of the movies that I've had on this list um, for a little while. And it's one that I've been really I've been wanting to watch because I love a young Pacino. Yeah. But I always went away from watching it because I knew I wanted to cover it on this show. So it felt disingenuous if I watched it before I had someone to talk about it with. So I'm really excited that this is the one we came, we, we came up with. Um, before we dive too deep into Dog Day Afternoon, um, I want to get a little bit of history on you. I love getting to know my guests a little bit. So oh, okay. for you, <laughs> where did your, uh, where did you discover like your love for movies? Um, I grew up in a small town in the Midwest, and um, you know, I you always used to like go to the video store. And even though we'd end up renting, you know, probably a more family-oriented film, I was always sneaking off to the other sections, whether it's the horror section or the classic section, just reading. Like, what are these? Like, what are these strange boxes filled with entertainment that I'll, one day I'll be able to watch? And um, I remember like uh, just getting like the TV guide and like flipping through it and being like, oh, four, here's a four star movie. I'm going to watch this at um, Monday at 9 p.m. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> all my third grade or third grade classmates are up playing. I'm going to I'm going to be watching The Wild Bunch because it has four stars in the in the TV guide. And then uh, also the Oscars, the, uh, watching the Oscars every year. Uh, really got me into uh, both the present film and really helped me connect back to like films of yesteryear. Mm -hmm. So I, I love it. TV Guide, a uh, something that uh, most uh, youth of these days don't understand what that's like. I remember scrolling through the TV Guide channel when that came around. Like, right. what's on? <laughs> well, it's awesome. Um, so then with kind of that all being said, when I sent you my list and, and reached out about having you on the show, you had thrown out a few ideas, but what was it about Dog Day Afternoon that was one of the ones you wanted to talk about? Um, it, I had a conversation not that long ago where I was trying to figure out um, what what was the best year in cinema history, and 1999 came up. If you're a really classic movie fan, you got to go to 1939. A lot of people, a lot of great movies came out then. But I thought 1975 was really right in, uh, in the middle there, a fantastic mm -hmm. year. Just the Best Picture nominees itself, Jaws. Barry Lyndon, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Nashville, and this film, Dog Day Afternoon, plus you have Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, a lot of influential movies came out that year, and so I've been watching a couple of them so far here in 2023 and needed to, needed to get that one off the, off the listing. And even though I've seen it probably, uh, probably watched it at some point in the 90s and then mm -hmm. maybe a few years later in college, Mm -hmm. So hadn't seen it in a while and some things I didn't remember and some things that I did. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, let's just kind of, we dive, you know, right into it. I realized too, I started actually looking through um, the director, Sidney Lumet. I started looking through his filmography to see like what else I had seen by mm -hmm. him. And it's very little, uh, actually. I've seen um, 12 Angry Men. I absolutely yeah. loved 12 Angry Men. Um, I love a one, and I think that's probably why I really enjoyed this movie a lot is I love a majority one room film where like it mostly takes place in like one general area. I think it's so hard to pull off well and both this and even with like the flashes to other locations with dog day afternoon, it really holds up. Like it it's done perfect by, by yeah, this, Sydney and, and Sydney Lumet, someone who came up working in television, live television also. So he's used to putting everything together on, on one stage. Some of his other movies like the whiz might not, uh, might not might not hold up as well, but uh, I think this is this this a network both back to back, 
Mm -hmm. uh, the films that he made are pro probably his two best, although Twelve Angry Men is, is, uh, is right up there as well. I yeah, think. I really, and then of course I've actually seen, I went on a big, um, what's well, it, Ethan Hawke kick for a hot yeah. minute. So of course I watched The Devil Knows You're Dead because I was on a big yeah. uh, Ethan Hawke kick for a little while, which, uh, you know, with his last movie he directed, which is phenomenal. I mean, so good. Um, but, you know, nominated for six Academy Awards, it got Best Original Screenplay. Um, it's, I think it's interesting. We got Chris Sarandon for the supporting actor as Leon. Um, yes. But not John, no no nomination for John Cazelli? Uh, Cazal? I, I mean, I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. I, I was hoping you would pronounce it and then we'll just, <laughs> we'll just go with it. I'm a false I Italian. Think I'm gonna say so. I'm gonna say Kazale, but it could easily Kazale. be. I like Kazale. I'm going there, with yours. I've heard it. I've heard it many different uh, many different ways. It's okay. And, One of my um, fifteen listeners will yell at me in the comments. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Frank Pearson wrote the script, and he um, is maybe more famous to the average film person as he was a longtime president of the, uh, the of the Academy of Motion Picture okay. Arts and Sciences. So he would always go out and. Uh, and spend 10 minutes at the Oscars talking about uh, talking about the organization um, as, as its own. But yeah, that, that was the only film, I believe that that's the only Oscar that it won, right? Yeah, the only one it won was for the best original screenplay. Um, but Pacino was nominated, Sidney Lumet was nominated, it was nominated for best picture, yeah. and then also for film editing. Um, well, it's a year for, um, so this movie came out a month before Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is his then wife, Susan Sarandon, I think, it's yeah, not her yeah. Film debut. It's one of the first ones. So a yeah. big, a big summer for the Sarandons in 1975. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that really is. Um, I did not know that. That's because I was wondering where the Sarandon, the last name came from. So now that makes sense. I'm like, oh, he was married to Susan Sarandon because I've known He's, more about Susan. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, this. You had said 1975 was a pretty stacked year. I just did yeah. another film. Um, I can't recall it off the top of my head, but I know I did one that was within that same time frame. That again was up against like you look at Jaws. I mean, just a feat mm -hmm. in filmmaking. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I mean is just the you know the the best one of the best class. I love going to a midnight Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, screening. I don't know about you, but they're they're a good time for me. <laughs> so yeah. um, standing the test of time. But um, the other thing that I thought was interesting that didn't hit me right away but after doing some research and taking some notes there's not a score with this film this is um so along with network his next film this is mm -hmm. one of the probably the greatest examples of a film that doesn't have a score you could add the birds mm -hmm. um hitchcock's rope no country for old men um the china syndrome is another one that doesn't have a score i guess blair witch project you mm -hmm. have some movies that stand out but I mean, it starts out with an Elton John song, and yeah. I love. I'm, I mean, I love the just the opening five minutes. Don't really tie into the to the rest of the movie, but it does show you New York, and it really makes uh makes really makes New York pop. Yeah, you know, no, in it 1972. does. And then exactly. they and then they take the music away for the rest of the time, and it's just it's just all done through dialogue and acting and editing. But it starts out with a banger, and then yeah, it's a scoreless film. It's just so impressive to and to not only just to not have a score, but the fact that like. Like I said, for me, I didn't even realize it. Like, you know, when a film has a good score, you can like tune in and it's right there. I mean, some of my favorite scores of all time is like James Horner with the Rocketeer is one of my all time favorite scores, like okay. Star Wars, you know, like there's these films that have these just, you know, it, they're these scores are synony synonymous with these movies. And then you have something like this where I was so enthralled in like, and I did read, like, I know how the story ended, but mm -hmm. I'm still so enthralled in the suspense with the cuts to some comedy to other parts where like these small moments, like when we first meet Leon and uh, he's in the bar, they drive, they put him into the barbershop and there's a bunch of mm -hmm. people standing around him. And when they find out that he's uh, actually a, a trans transgender and, and they're trying to steal this money for his, uh, for his sex change operation, the little moment of like the cop standing behind him that just like lets out a laugh and like he just, you know, covers his mouth and it's just your heart, like, especially in this day, it's like, I my heart just like broke in that moment. I think, I think, um, I mean, this is probably the first time I've ever seen a positive representation of a trans mm -hmm. character in a film. 
Um, and you've seen drag drag queens or, you know, the Norman Bates in Psycho, the way he dresses up. Mm-hmm. But yes, the cops are laughing, but Pacino's not laughing. Pacino's no. takes this very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leon's not Leon's not laughing. Sidney Lumet tre- treats it very, um, very respectfully. It's a reveal. They don't start out with it at the beginning. No. And um, Charles Durning, and I want to talk about him because I think he's my favorite performance in the movie. Mm-hmm. He treats it seriously also. He realizes this is a real hostage situation and this is what the relationship is between them. And he's going, while the other cops are laughing, Durning's the one who's like going to calm him down and get him, mm-hmm. uh, get him on the phone with, uh, get him on the phone with Pacino there. Yeah, no, his performance was phenomenal. And I think it really tied there. It it definitely feels, especially reading the history of this film and, and the direction that Sidney Lumet took it and how um, it was written and everything. Um, even the fact, you know, to like the, to kind of fast forward into like our little, if it's on Wikipedia, it's true. The yeah. idea that um, for when they were doing the, on the news when they were revealing that this what this this robbery was for and who Leon was and who Sonny was and in that sense they actually had footage from the actual wedding and they right. were going to put that into and, and show that as part of the news broadcast but even Sydney Lumet was like I don't want knowing like and he said knowing the time frame and where we are I felt like if we put that in it would take away from the seriousness of this moment and of this story and it the ending wouldn't hit yeah, because th- this would think, be a distraction. Yeah, I think if you show that in a room full of uh, a theater full of people in 1975, you're going to get laughed you don't want. I mm-hmm. think if you start out with it in the first 10 minutes, like you see in them, uh, you know, spending the morning together. Mm-hmm. I think I think you lose a lot of people. Then also the way that it's woven in, it comes suddenly. By then, you're already involved in the situation and the characters. I think that's the uh, the perfect um, the perfect cover to put something so progressive into a film and make it such mm-hmm. uh, such a part of a film. I'm really, um, so I'd seen, I'd say I hadn't seen this movie in like 20 years. In my mind, that scene, the exchange between, uh, between Sonny and Leon, that was a split, sc- that was a split screen mm-hmm. in my head. And I was shocked that it wasn't, it was just edited back and forth. And I don't know yeah. why in my mind, uh, if you would have, you, I would have bet you a hundred dollars that at least half of that scene is you know, the yeah. way we are right now, a split screen, yeah. I'm shocked, shocked to see that that wasn't the case at all. I have no idea why I remember it that way. I I mean, I think that's kind of a testament to like how the editing was done because it's so quick back and forth, especially with um, Al Pacino and you're watching, you know, his, his, the way he's playing Sonny, just escalating and escalating into this kind of crazed, you know, just, and it's kind of, you, you know, you kind of go back and forth with it because the way that Leon also talks about him and the way that, um, his his other wife talks about him he doesn't sound like the nicest greatest guy you know and but yet he's doing this thing to help this person that he loves but at the same time he's he he's not he's not he doesn't seem no, like he, he's he, he, he comes he does not come across um both in terms of the planning of the robbery the execution of the robbery and his personal life he doesn't seem like someone who plans things out mm-hmm. he right. seems to be living moment to moment very emotionally and he he seems to have a false impression that well, if this is what I if this is who I love and this is what I'm in, interested in, I'm going to succeed. When mm-hmm. he's woefully un, unprepared to be a, a bank robber. Oh, absolutely, and and the hostages that he has knows that too. You know, they're um, uh, what's who's the one the one woman that's in this uh, that's incredible. Oh, Penelope Allen as Sylvia. Like nope, when yeah. the first time they go outside to talk to, um. Uh, to talk to um, gosh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Charles Durney or yeah, char- yeah, yeah. When they first go out there to to kind of do the the confrontation, you know, she's just kind of standing there. She's yelling at people too. She's like, just he's fine. We're fine. Right. And then when she's out there, he's like, well, why don't you come with us? She's like, no, those are my girls. And like, she's not scared. She's not worried yeah. about this guy. Once she, she, she sees- has a story, she has a story to tell him. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, oh, go ahead. No, please. Oh, so so this is based on a real story and I, mm-hmm. I, I do want to ask you what uh, what you knew about the real life event and what you knew about the film ahead of time but apparently according to the internet the uh, <laughs> character solid was, was 18 years old yes i just learned and that one i just they, learned today and instead they, because they worked on the godfather for two movies pacino was like i want to put john cazale in it mm-hmm. and it changes the tone because an 18 year old kid i think w- would look just as baby-faced and innocent as pacino is portrayed mm-hmm. in this movie 
John Cazale, he could kill you. Yeah. He looks like he could kill you. And I don't, I think if they cast an 18 year old, you wouldn't have the same level of menace and fear. No. And I, think- I never got, I never got the feeling that Sonny was going to kill anyone, but you don't know about the other guy. And that's, yeah. that's what's scary. And that's the tension is you can only, you only really understand one of them. Especially when I think it really kind of starts kicking in the high gear. Um, when he starts getting really upset that they keep saying two homosexuals in the, <laughs> in 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 the bank and like when when the fbi agent comes in he points him he and that's what ends up stealing his fate i feel like because he actually points the gun at the the fbi agent was like make sure they tell them to stop saying that there's two there's not two um but kind of back to your point about that whole 18 year old is then in the end because we just go full spoilers you know he's the one who gets shot in the head i feel like that would be I don't know. I just don't, I, I think it would hit in a different way than it does in the, I would be, if I was watching, it's almost like watching um, little Kim Richards in assault on precinct 13, getting shot. Like I, oh, yeah. the age, it, it, yeah, it's it, more, yeah. more, it's more of a father son relationship just because of their mm-hmm. ages or mm-hmm. sugar daddy, depending on, on what, I mean, who knows what, what, how they would have portrayed it, but having them more like brothers or, I mean, it's not even clear they liked each other. Right. It's just that it, it almost it really did feel like he just picked out people who he kind of knew that would say they would do it. And then they even play off really well in the beginning when they first come in to rob the bank, the way that he yeah. can't even like shake the gun out. You know, they're obviously no, he doesn't know the old, you know, if, if you carry a big box of flowers into a bank, just watch out. Because that's right. like a, that, there's a gun in there. <laughs> there's definitely so not flowers. There's never in. flowers. <laughs> Never with all hard. offense to, uh, with all offense to, uh, was you said Penelope Allen? Was that her name? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then Carol, K- Carol Kane is in this movie. Yes. Carol that, Kane. That was not something, something I remembered either. She and uh, Pacino <laughs> are currently in Hunters on Amazon. I love uh, that show. So I have not watched kind of a, two yet. That's kind of a, a, a fun reunion there. And Carol Kane also in Princess Bride with Chris Randon. So yes. a couple, uh, Carol, Carol worked with some of these people again. That's um, awesome. I would like to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, what did you know about this movie going in? And what was your reaction to it as, as it was playing out? So I knew the premise of it was the true story of, you know, Sonny, who is robbing a bank to steal money for his uh, transgendered partner for for a sex reassignment surgery. That's what I knew. I knew it was a true story. And I knew that's what that was the premise of being in the bank. Um but that's, and then of course I knew the only reason I knew the line Attica was because we're big, always sunny in Philadelphia fans in this yeah. house. And there was an episode where I can't remember what time it was, but like Charlie comes running out with a broom and he starts yelling, Attica, Attica. So when I heard that in, in the movie, I'm like, oh, that's where that came from. But that's about it. And I knew kind of, I kind of knew the ending a little bit, but I really, that that's kind of the premise that I, that I knew. So I knew that the, that Leon was going to be showing up at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know when, and I didn't know how. And I really, really thought it was um, really interesting how they build up the whole, get his wife on the phone. And the first person that they call is his other wife, with his wife with yeah. with, with the, their children. And so that's who you think is coming down. And then Leon shows up and you're kind of like, okay, so now, but, and if you didn't understand where it was going or what that story was, or if you weren't a, if you weren't alive at the time when the when it actually played out, that's probably one of the best like cinematic reveals of all time. It, it's a, yeah, it's a reveal. You you don't you don't know who he is or why he's there, and then I, but, but and it's like you know, an hour. They, in. they love each like, other. There's yeah. no doubt that they love each other. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then so in a bank rob. This is a this is. I mean, it's a heist movie and it's a hostage situation movie, but it doesn't quite feel like um, if Michael Bay directed this movie, I haven't seen Ambulance. I've been meaning to see Ambulance. Um, it's great. It's but, a good time. <laughs> but instead of just set piece after set piece of are the cops going to figure out how to get in there? Is mm-hmm. There's, you know, you don't have like uh, one of the hostages has asthma or is pregnant mm-hmm. or like is got shot accidentally They're, they don't right. have a, more of the stereotypes it, or, or set pieces are just really every time there's a new scene it's really just a conversation yes and you don't really see you don't really see movies like this in this genre carried so much through conversations going back to uh, what mm-hmm. you're saying about it feeling like like a play in one location mm-hmm. so 
it re they really could have opened it up more with just action and music, et cetera. And they don't, they just focus on the characters. And it's really fascinating to see that because they, they would not make them this movie like this uh, no. in 2023. No, definitely not. Um, yeah. The, like I think the most, until the very end when you have the gun hidden in the, the side panel and the, and the agent shooting John Cazale in, in the head, um, the only other real like crazy action that kind of happens is when he shoots, when Sonny shoots out the window because they, they start trying to come into the back. And then Charles Durning is like running in there going, what are you guys doing? Like, we're, we're the, there was no reason for any of that. And I think the way that the respect that he's being given, knowing that this is a man who is in desperate need and I mean, you don't just go rob a bank because you just want to rob a bank. I mean, maybe some right. people do, but it's very clear that's not that they're that this guy is so desperate he doesn't know what else to do. And this is where we're at, and this is what we're going with. I think you kind of, I really think you hit the nail on the head when, when it comes to the idea of these characters telling the story and the character development throughout is just phenomenal, and how no one wants to leave. And I feel like even the tellers are kind of helping him figure out and plan this robbery themselves. Like, you know, at first he's just kind of like, oh, if I come out there, you're going to shoot me in the head. You're going to do this. Gonna... And then I feel like they start giving him these little, like the, the exchange he has with, with Penelope Allen. She's like, you did it on a whim. And he's like, I had a yeah. plan. <laughs> but he doesn't have, he doesn't have a plan. I mean, even he doesn't even wear the, the right shoes. Some of the, some of the earliest comedy in this movie is him sliding across the floor. Cause he, he's just, you know, doesn't have, he doesn't have any traction on, on, on whatever shoes he wore. He can't get the box open. Mm -hmm. He picked the worst getaway driver imaginable. He was out of the movie and like, <laughs> like who leaves seconds. who's like i can't yeah. do it and then he runs out so it's like okay and then they all, there's no they don't wear masks they all call each other by their real names yeah it's Instantly. not I, I i'd be curious one more perhaps one extra scene of what they thought would happen like yeah what, 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 what was their plan here <laughs> yeah absolutely or you know he starts burning the receipts for the traveler's checks which is how someone ends up calling the cops because there's smoke coming out of the building the smoke, yeah smoke like, coming out. So. It's just, it is so it's yeah it's very much but i think it's really important too with again these these moments within the movie that are really kind of comic relief that you're that you kind of need to cut this tension that you're feeling through this entire time um, and yeah. it comes in perfectly and then it immediately goes away and you realize the seriousness of the situation that we're in. And I think it just boils down to just fantastic writing and even more phenomenal editing. Um, I had in the notes, like you said, about Pacino convincing Lumet to ja uh, to, to cast um, John Cazale. Um, yeah. So, I so, also he, so he was so he legendarily for the, for those who are watching this, he was in, Five movies in the 70s, all Best Picture nominees, Two Godfathers, uh, Deer Hunter, I think The Conversation, and this. Mm -hmm. And then he dated Meryl Streep. Fucking Al Pacino. And then he died. And he died. <laughs> oh, John Cazale. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Cazale, yeah. John I mean, Pacino might have, too. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, John Cazale, you're right. I was thinking. So, no, you're right. John Cazale had a storied career. And then, of course, you know, cancer. Yeah. I actually, again, started reading up on John Cazale because I was very intrigued. And while he was filming The Deer Hunter was during his like he was like really struggling with cancer but wasn't telling kind of like how chadwick Bode, like just was not telling oh, anybody. I didn't, oh I, didn't, I didn't know that okay yeah yeah he was like trying like a few people knew but he was trying not to tell anybody but he was just so sick like the entire time that he was filming that movie um so we got to add that to the list now because i haven't seen that one <laughs> you want to come back <laughs> you want to come hang with me again <laughs> for the deer hunter sure why not oh boy <laughs> We'll get some other, we'll get some cheerful ones in here before that one. Yeah, I, mean, that. <laughs> I, I can do, I can do the second, I can do the second third of the deer hunter. The first, first, the first, the first third, first you're third not. Sec, final third, a little, <laughs> little long. We'll just, we'll just cut it halfway through. That's fine. Okay. We'll be good. Um, but the other thing that I, I thought was really interesting is that during the process of getting Pacino to do the movie, he backed out like, and then accepted, like he did, apparently he did this like three times. Um, was like, yeah, I'll do the movie. And then he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And then he was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. He did it three times. And finally, he like settled on doing it. Um, but he was super stressed out about it the whole time, <laughs> apparently, like right. leading up to it. And um, it's in he, the way his voice. So I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are as Pacino as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think he's great normally. Yeah. But after he won his Oscar for Center of a Woman, I think he got stuck into. 
like oh. one mode for most of the time. I'll take a I think flame a lot of that has to, to this place. Yeah, that Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it, yeah, yeah. I mean, Scarface will love that too. But it really has to do with his voice. And his mm -hmm. voice is so high. It's so high pitched in, it's so soft spoken in both Godfather movies and it's so high pitched in this. And it's like, at some point he he goes down an octave mm -hmm. and then he has to, and then everything be just becomes bigger, bigger, bigger. Now he's, now he's definitely like a live wire and he's definitely running around here. Mm -hmm. But um, he's just not an actor that when I was growing up, he was not an actor known for, for subtlety. Right. And then to, to see him do this and just to hear that voice, it's, it's such a strange, um, a strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, correct thing. me if I'm wrong on this, or if you, if you don't know that we can always look it up. Cause that's what Wikipedia is for. Um, he got his start on in like stage plays versus film. I believe like a lot of the people that he brought into um, that he got Sidney Lump to cast in this as well, or people that he performed with on stage. So I don't yeah, think at least he was, has. Yeah, he was a stage actor in New York. I think, uh, I want to say Panic in Needle Park was maybe his first movie. And Coppola really wanted him for The Godfather and fought mm -hmm. pretty hard to get him over Steve McQueen or Robert Redford mm -hmm. or some other actors who would be hilariously miscast, I think, as, mm -hmm. as, um, as Corleone. As Cor yeah. Little, it, little it's, Michael. It's not Sonny. No, Sonny's his brother. Sonny's his brother. That's Sonny James in this Khan. Very few names. They only, you, know, you always had to have a Sonny in the, in the always. 70s. Always. In the movie. So. Um, so so he, he got that. And then uh, Serpico is in between the Godfather movies mm -hmm. where he plays a, a cop with a beard. And I'm not sure what he does right after Dog Day. But I think if it's not four acting four acting nominations in a row, it's still it's four hits in a row at least. Right. What does so he do? Let's he's look often, up on IMDb. Um, he's often running at, at at this point. But yeah, he was a pretty unknown stage actor by the time he got to The Godfather. He didn't have like a decade worth of, of film credits. Right. Um, Bobby Deerfield. It looks like according to IMDb, IMDb was what he did after Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. So um, don't know what the, I've never seen that one. Um, and then yeah. we got and justice for all crew. Oh, I mean, of course. Yeah. You're, you're out of, I'm out of order. You're out of order. That's another classic, <laughs> classic, another classic yelling. Um, and then God Attica, Attica. Um, so that's the famous one. Maybe the most famous line in this movie is mm -hmm. him yelling Attica And it. I mean, are you familiar with the Attica prison ride? Cause I was not. I was not, or so if, I went to go look it up right yeah, after. I looked it up yeah. since, and I feel like I looked it up once 25 years ago when I first saw this movie. But mm -hmm. it doesn't really tie in, I mean, I guess thematically with in terms of like powerful people and like the, the you know, people trying to claw back decency mm -hmm. and power from other people. I guess it ties in, but it just seems random. I think it was improvised too. It's It would make sense. I mean, because it really doesn't add to the story. And I guess when you're looking at it, you know, he's he's he has a crowd watching him at this point, right? right? Like he knows it's he even goes in at one point and talks about that it, it were it's a circus to them for us. Like they don't right. they don't think this is serious. So when you have all these cops like coming up with like their guns drawn, like they're going to come after him. And it's him and Charles Durning, like telling them to put it down. You know, he, why not just start screaming about Attica and see if that'll, you know, it riles up the crowd. Right. And then it kind of just keeps going throughout the movie. Like anytime that he gets on, uh, when Charles Durning gets on the bullhorn, he starts going sunny. And then the rest of the crowd goes sunny. Like yeah. they're just, you know, chiming in with it. It's, it's so well, it's so so good and i think that all kind of plays into because of him yelling attica is now like all these people there just also fuck with the cops yeah. more than get a show and screw with police officers because why not if you can what are they gonna do <laughs> yeah they, they spend a lot of time outside the bank uh mm -hmm. which i think i think as it was a warehouse in brooklyn i don't think it was a real bank and then charles mm -hmm. sterling i love um I love it when he first he starts taking his coat out and his coat off and he's sweating and he's pleading and he's like, come on, like yeah. really like passionate into it and sweaty. And then you cut to him like a minute later and he's just like eating a sandwich. Yeah. Like it was, <laughs> like, it was like, it was, you know, he was just, he was trying to get it. He, he thought he had a window. It didn't work. All right. I'll try yeah. again later. I'll try, try, try the next tactic. So such, such a good, such a good performance. You also have uh, Lance Henriksen is in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As, as one of the FBI agents, that was kind yes. of yes, Murphy. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, Murphy, that was fun. Yep. So this whole movie, um, I mean, it's it's yeah. it really is just from top from from top to bottom. I think 
absolutely one of the a prime example of just like perfect filmmaking and having enough into it because you know it's a longer it's you know a little over two hours longer film but the way that it holds that tension for that entire two hours is perfect i think one of the best moments we kind of talked about it a little bit ago was that those phone calls um mm -hmm. where he's on the phone with leon and then he's on his phone with his other wife and the way that that whole thing was shot and just watching Pacino through the entire thing. If I mean, I feel like that alone is a masterclass in acting yeah. in just that part with that close up and oh, it's, it's perfect. It's one of the so best. This is Jack Nicholson. So this is the Jack Nicholson cuckoo's nest year. So that was mm -hmm. going to be a tough, that was going to be a tough Oscar for Pacino to win. But coming, mm -hmm. after, coming off of both Godfathers, it seemed like, you know, maybe at the, at the time it came out, he might, he might have been the, uh, I don't know which movie came the out one. first. Yeah. But yeah, um, it seemed like the one. Another thing, um, I, so I thought that the ending, the final sequence, I thought it was some inspiration um, from the Munich 1972 Olympics when they were hostages taken and um, they were, taken out from the Olympic village and ended up being mm -hmm. killed like on the airport runway. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that this, the events of this movie of August 72 would have been before that. Mm. So, okay. but when you're watching this movie, I think if you'd watch the newscast of the, what happened at the Olympics, I think those, th those images and those thoughts are echoing in your mind. Yeah. But I, I guess I originally, I, uh, I misremembered the movie thinking that his plan was partially inspired by, by what happened in Munich, which but they didn't really have a plan. They didn't, right. really didn't no. know where it was going. That plan was going nowhere. We're going to Algeria. <laughs> like why yeah. Algeria? Like it's just the first, it's like, it's like the whole idea of like, you have like a map on your wall and you just throw a dart and you're like, yeah. that's where we're going to go visit next. <laughs> if you can, I cannot. But uh, yeah, no. For, and I, I think it's very telling too. Like, just how well these hostages did for being in there with these with with Sonny and how they made him and Sal feel and like making them comfortable. But as soon as they were able to get out and that shot hit it hit Sal and like none of them are you know saying bye to Sonny. Like they're like do they're they're out. They're they do not care what happens next. They are more than happy to be done with these insane people that have been tying like tying and it almost feels like I feel like um Sonny is in there watching these people just walk away, like not a single one coming to his aid or his defense at all. And you're just like, yeah, bro, you, you just ended up all alone. Yeah. All he, he's, um, and I think he lives, I, I believe he's dead now. Um, mm -hmm. the, the woman that Leon is based off of passed away in the eighties. Mm -hmm. I think he lived another 20 years beyond that. Do you know, one thing I forgot to look up, do you know, is this based on, did anybody write a book? That it was this, that Frank Pearson ad adapted, or is this just based on like a news article, or is this wholly I, original? I believe it was based off of the the article published in Life magazine in September okay. nineteen seventy two. Um, okay. They it was an uh, issue, um, a whole chronicle of of the robbery. Um, they actually the story was titled "The Boys in the Bank," and I guess that was also the working title for this film before they landed and, and kept it on Dog Day Afternoon. Which means um, what? I, I don't. I, I was. I was waiting for that explanation. Also, why they chose that title? I uh, uh, for the, I. So I don't know. I actually don't know why they chose that as the title. Sort of, but, like, sort of like Hard Day's Night doesn't make. Uh, I guess I've heard the phrase before. I think. Yeah. But, I mean, Boys in the Bank's a good is a good title. I, think. I love that. They, I think that's a great title. To it. Um, but I guess they kind of throw. So one of the things I I, I didn't realize it, but. Um, I think there's like a line in the beginning when you're listening to uh, the radio with that um, uh, Elton John song where like the DJ calls it like a quiet, you know, just another, just a summer, uh, a dog day afternoon. Oh, um, okay. So like describing like the weather and things like that. So maybe that's where it came from. Maybe just added it in to put it in there. What I also thought was interesting coming up with... Um, the way that things were filmed because this was filmed in, in the fall of 1974. Okay. And you know, it gets September between September and November, 1974 is when this movie was filmed. So it gets cold. In, I don't know if you know this, but in New York, I think it gets pretty cold at night. 
And so no, we don't have we don't have seasons in LA. So there are seasons. I know. I'm Orlando, very, Florida. So what it is was tornadoes. We're in a tornado today, so it's Ooh. been a little a bit a bit a little wonky. But um, um, no. So so they had to they had to conceal like breath. Yeah. Something? So they would have the actors put ice cubes in their mouth to okay. get it to become to match the temperature so that when they would talk it wouldn't look like it was cold because they're supposed to be it's, there's supposed to be no ac and it's supposed to be hot so like sydney lumet had like made his own like mixture to like look like sweat and was like spraying them all in the face in this like 40 degrees yeah. <laughs> warehouse that they're filming in which is wild uh the things that people do i that i could never even think of when it comes to filming a movie to like do those like to fix not having cold breath or you know like you go back to hitchcock and psycho with the chocolate syrup in the shower versus the red dye because it actually looks like blood filmmakers yeah. are geniuses clearly smarter well, than me when when you don't when, uh, when you don't hire a composer you can you can hire people to like keep uh, keep, keep track of those kind of things exactly that's exactly save, what it save is the music budget <laughs> um one thing i like about this movie is the I I never lived in New York City and obviously I was not alive in the seventies but this mm -hmm. really feels like in spite of the fact that it's violent and hot this is like the world that I would want to live in when I'm thinking of like New York in that time period not yeah. the taxi driver version which is more uh, which is much more dirty and, and seedy right but this like the people with like Casale has the has like the ironed hair and just like the and like the clothes that pop. Yes, um, the biggest forehead I've ever the seen. Though, the I'm not pizza boys lie. with their tight T-shirts, <laughs> like all, all, all good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the cars, oh, sure. the cars, the limo, the limo that comes is oh, just like limo. this, like yeah, stretch, yeah. like school bus. I mean, yeah, you know, this is. I like how they give us a very kind of clean side of New York, and I, I also love that. Um, I get all the extras and the people that were there. Sydney Lumet like went around and like told people to like the people who actually lived in the surrounding buildings to just come and peek out and actually watch what they're doing so they could mm -hmm. like take like they could uh, take shots of these people just hanging out the windows to see the commotion but he's literally like they're leaning out to be like how's the movie going what else is going on down there which I thought is super a super fun thing but it's uh, really it's really a time a time capsule was, was the word it I was is. trying to get to there of 70s New York Yes, yes, 72. Also, I need to, I feel like I have to point out how um, handsome Al Pacino is in his early okay. days. You know, I mean, that is a, that is a handsome man, for <laughs> sure. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, I might have a thing for a young Al Pacino. It's just, just, just saying. It's happening. I think a lot, I think a lot of people did. He was, he was, uh, <laughs> he was very, very powerful there. Um. Uh. So another, again, another fun fact that I thought was really cool reading up about this, going back to those phone call scenes, uh, both of those phone calls, both of those calls, he films them back to back and they're each 14 minutes long. And in order to do the one, oh, that's full long. Wow, okay. yeah, but the, the, uh, the cameras only contained 10 minutes worth of film. So the way that he, he set it up is he put two cameras side by side and through like a, a, like a, like a black curtain they had like holes cut on the black curtain so that way they could film the entire thing without running out of film and like without having to like change it over which i thought was i mean brilliant it, hmm. so love early filmmaking stuff <laughs> it's it always blows my mind and i think that's why i feel like i say it every single time i have one of these shows is i'm so glad i waited to watch this movie for this podcast because i have such a deeper appreciation for this type of thing especially for these older films and how they had to do things and how things were done versus you know you change over to digital and now we just have directors being assholes and making people do things 1700 times because they can because it's all digital <laughs> well you'll like you'll like barry linden from the same year if you haven't watched it yet okay Stanley kubrick's barry linden if you want to talk about uh they do, they do every spoiler alert they do they they light most everything with candles oh and so to think, to think about like how how that would have worked yeah um, oh and yeah just, no just the, the amount of craft that, that would have had to go into that so it's wild keep okay. keep, uh, keep going with 1975 films, i should one of the best years. <laughs> i really should i should start having some sort of rhyme or reason to why i uh watch the movies that i do but it's more just so hey are you free let's talk about what you want to talk about <laughs> 
Um, so kind of getting, so I, I got to ask that now we've kind of, with talking about the whole movie that we, and the ways that we have, um, what would be your top three moments or scenes from this film? I think the number one, I think the number one scene is, it is the conversation with Leon mm-hmm. and the back and forth, because it is a scene that you, that I'd never seen before. And most people ha- would have not seen a scene like that between two characters like that at that time period to, yeah. um, to, two loving men uh, in a relationship and one one is wants to become a woman and it's treated very seriously that was the scene that even though i didn't remember correctly though that was the the part that i remembered the most and then i think the uh i really like the opening montage of the elton john song for the for yeah. just putting you in that time in a uh, time and place yeah and i think the um having not known when i first saw this movie not knowing the story, not knowing how it was going to end. The final scene in the in, with the limo is just all tension. Yes, and the noise. Again, there's no soundtrack, so it's the noise of the planes, mm-hmm. and it's and it's the, it's just like because it gets louder and louder and louder, and it's just really uh, really tense. There are also yeah. so there, there's a lot of smaller moments I like, but I think those are I think uh, there's the one in the middle, and then the, the way that it mm-hmm. opens and ends. I guess. Yeah. No, I but, think the the it's. Uh, no, the ending I think is done beautifully because you also have Al Pacino. He's so excited. He's like, "We did it, Sal. We did it. We're getting like we're, we're done. We're good. We're going." And then the the one agent goes, uh, "You know, careful, Sal. We don't want any accidents. Why don't you put it down?" And as soon as, and Sal's trusting him, right? Like he's like, "All right, cool. Mm-hmm. I'll put it down." And then just real quick, I mean, just done so quickly, and the the tension and how it just changes so fast is just. Oh, I mean, it, it already like I can feel my, st- my my like a pit in my stomach just thinking about it because it's. Are not you surprised expected. that again, based on a real story? Are you surprised that that uh, officer wouldn't have shot Sonny also? I am. He, he could have got away with it. He wouldn't mm-hmm. have been like judged for that. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. But I think in the sense of the reason we're shooting, I, they they wanted, because you can you kind of get it throughout the movie is, you know, we'll make sure that Sal is the one that's being taken down for this. Well, because they want to get one fall guy. Yeah. And they keep saying it's going to be Sal. And I mean, Sal's one that's kind of holding the gun the whole time. Really, yes. Sonny has been pretty compliant. He just wants these things, but he's not hurt anyone. He's, you know, looked out for everybody. He just, he he's just a desperate man in a really, really shitty position. And I mm. think that they, they understand that. And then this way they also catch him and, you know, it, they can have, do what they need to do with it. Um, and I think maybe in 1975, uh, it, the fact that he's also, part of the LGBTQ community in 1975 would have been an easier reason to also do that and have it not be a big deal. But I, I kind of am glad that they didn't because I don't oh, that think it was been, been interesting. It would be interesting if he yelled uh, Stonewall, Stonewall instead of Attica, Attica. Yeah. That would have oh, been yeah. more like appropriate, I guess. But I, I mean... But again, it's like, how much did he, That's interesting. Re- I also think it's interesting, like, how much did he even feel like he was a part of it? Right? Like, it almost felt like, like, yes, he loved Leon, but it also felt like there was a part of him that was fighting against it a little bit, you know, like when, when the, the, the LGBTQ community comes out and they're cheering for him and they're like, we're all the way with you, Sonny. And like, he, he even looks uncomfortable at that moment because that's not what he wanted. And it's like, yes, I love Leon, but I'm also, but I feel like he's still at this crossroad of like, is it really like that out that he, did he want to be outed in that way? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Right. So yeah, it wasn't his, it wasn't his scene perhaps. Right. Yeah. I think um, he was like, I love this person, but I'm not like all the way there yet. So in 20, 2013, there was a documentary called The Dog. Mm-hmm. About Sonny, I'm sorry, John Wachtowitz, which is the, the guy's name. The guy's actual, life. yes. Yeah, and I, I I remember seeing this at a film festival, and but he, there was a lot of complaining about how they didn't portray his story correctly, and he wanted to sue, and it was a, a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff like that. But he definitely, um, he is not a guy. Again, the same way he was portrayed, he wasn't someone who looked back with a lot of regret. It was always like what's next? Who am I in love with today? What mm-hmm. am I doing today? Um, 
just just really a crazy character. But if you if you if you want to have a companion piece, there is a movie out there documentary okay. out there called The Dog from 2013. Oh, I'll definitely have to look about, that up about yeah. real life. I was reading through too, like kind of with the with the background, like development and everything with it is the fact that they, you know, paid out, uh, you know, the, the hostages who would talk to them, they gave them a little bit of a pay for talking about it. And then the fact that, you know, uh, uh, Sonny or, or John is working on these kind of like deals to get paid for his story with it, which part of it went to... Um, Leon or he Eden's uh, reassignment mm-hmm. surgery. Um, so the money did was earmarked for that. And as you see at the end of the movie that they, that, that she did get her reassignment surgery at one point. Um, but I guess they were, there was one thing about him. He was supposed to be getting um, some sort of uh, uh, like percentage of the, the sales or the, the gross with the film, but that very quickly got either debunked or canceled because people were like not happy about it. Right. But even that, that, that he's that, telling that, his that story. might have been that might have been what he was complaining about in the in the documentary that he he, he lost out on some stuff. Absolutely. Um, but, but bro, you robbed a bank. You shouldn't be getting paid for it. Like no. <laughs> if we're gonna be if we're gonna be honest about it. Um, I definitely I think um for me when it comes to kind of my top three moments, we definitely talked about obviously the phone call. I think that's amazing. Um I agree to, I have, I have the opening because I also think what's done really well with that song is, and the casualness of everything is it really feels like just another day. And I think the way that they just go into this bank robbery at the end of the day is just so chaotic and so wild. Like even everyone there is like, what, what do you mean? What is going on? Like it like takes someone a minute to catch on. Um, And then I think I would also, I, I, I would say just because of the, because I knew what it when I when I heard uh, him yelling Attica during that whole first uh, confrontation with the officers, and finally being able to recognize where it came from, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, there yeah. it is." Um, so <laughs> I, that that's in my that's in my top my top three moments, which also is interesting. Um, the AFI American Film Institute has a bunch of those one hundred whatever one hundred movies. This one has been nominated twice for when they first did it. And then when they kind of revisited it again in the 2000s, um, it was did nominated. It go, did, it go, did it go up or down? It didn't. Ratings? It's still not on. It's actually not on the list. It was nominated oh. to be put on the list, but it's not on wow. AFI's 100 films for 100 years. It is on their, um, it's number 70 on their 100 years, 100 thrills list, mm. so like a separate one. And then it's actually, the um, Attica line is, quote, is 86 on their 100 years, 100 quotes list. So it's mm. on a couple of them, but for some reason, and I feel like, I mean, I don't know every single film that's on the 100 years for they can take They can take Nashville out and put up. <laughs> put this one up uh, instead. Dog day afternoon, <laughs> geez Louise. Okay, no, not, nothing, nothing wrong with Nashville, but come on. But if this is, it's wild that this isn't on there. Um, no, but I absolutely, I really, for, for as heavy of a subject as this is, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I think that this was a fantastic uh, choice to finally watch and cover on this show. Um, I'm actually now going to go into, as I end all of my episodes, I'm going to go into my Letterboxd account and we're going to rate it out of, do like that whole like out of five stars rating. And so we're okay. getting in here now. And I mean, I, I, I there's no. Do you other... want to? Do you want to know something funny? Is uh, all that time I said I spent at the video store, I have not. Uh, I do not have a letterboxed account. Wow. My, to be my, fair, my film, my film opinions are kept to myself for the most part. So this is an exception. To be fair, um, I only <laughs> rate the films I talk about on this podcast. And then, um, I, I mean, I was, I, I use it to keep up with what I want, like the new releases I watched in 2020, yeah. but that stressed me out. So I'm not going to do that this year. I'm just going to probably use it mostly <laughs> for this podcast. Um, but Dog Day Afternoon, I mean, it's a five-star movie. I think that it is a winner from front to back. There's a reason why it's been standing the test of time. There's a reason why the story, with, I mean, I feel like it's one of the best heist movies, like you said, without having to have like the it Michael Bay. It doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. that central heist. And I found it very easy to, to rewatch some movies, especially the further back you get, just don't. It's not that the content goes bad. It's just the pace is so mm-hmm. 
like, come on, like, can I, can I, can I watch this at one and a quarter speed or anything like yeah. that? Uh, Dog Day Afternoon, I do not find that to be the case. I find no. it's very well paced. And I just, I love dialogue movies. I think dialogue movies are just incredible, especially when they're done really, I think it's one of the big reasons why, I mean, I, obviously one of the reasons why, you know, Tarantino is so right. good at his craft, like his dialogue in his films are phenomenal. So I loved it. Five stars. Oh, and this isn't, like Tarantino, I mean, this Tarantino style would be so different than what this style is. I mean, they're mm -hmm. both, they're both great for what they are, but you don't have Pacino having the monologues no. that, uh, that Samuel L. Jackson might in, uh, in the, in, yeah. in the lead role. If it's Kurt Russell and Samuel L. Jackson robbing the bank, you're going to have yeah. a whole different uh, conversations with people. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Well, this was wonderful, Ty. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Um, before we get out of here, do you have anything going on? Is there where anywhere people can find you on the interwebs? Um, no, I you know, I, I, I deactivated Twitter, but uh, I, I did I did write a film a couple of years ago called Kiss the Bride, and you can see it on Pluto TV. Go ahead and yes. watch it on Pluto, and then go to Letterboxd and, uh, <laughs> and go ahead and give it five more stars. I love or that. Four, or four and a half, if you're not happy with, with some of the dialogue. It's my but fault. nothing less. Nothing less than that. Nothing less than four. <laughs> don't, don't bother logging in if it's less than okay. four and a half. If you don't like it other than that. And thank you to everyone who is watching us here on the Flick and Real YouTube channel. Please go ahead and hit that like button. It really helps with the algorithm and getting these videos out there. Leave your thoughts in the comments about Dog Day Afternoon or in the comments on any of the other great episodes or videos we have here. If you're listening on your your audio platform of choice. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Reels, like, Reels Likes Movies. And you can follow me at Allison Salamone. And until next time, my friends, be safe. I'm going to go watch some more movies. See ya. Attica! Attica! <laughs> <laughs>